We have one more reading this morning, uh, very similar to the last reading in Matthew that I'm going to read and just give a brief devotional on this passage. Uh, It's found in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. I'm titling this, Saved at the Cross. Read with me, beginning in verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, He has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these these words from Scripture that we've been reading, thank you for the record of this true, true story. Thank you for the many witnesses. Thank you for the faithful gospel writers who have all recorded these events of this day in some way, highlighting the specifics of what went on. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just bless us in this short time just to hear from you directly uh, so that we may be encouraged on this day and we may understand fully what really took place and what it means to be saved at the cross. Pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I was uh, reading uh, this week and, and last, actually, in preparation for this, all of the Scripture readings that were read today over and over and, and trying to Okay, where should we go this year for something? Um, and it was this text that stood out for me, and, and, and a couple of things stood out for me in a way that I actually hadn't seen them before. And, um, and so that's uh, where I want to highlight that for you this morning, and I hope it'll be encouraging. But a first question that I have for us this morning is, have you ever asked or wondered why? I mean, think about this. Why did God plan 
It's not by accident. Why did he plan that Jesus would be crucified in the middle between two robbers, two criminals? I mean, considering what a big deal it was for the religious people, the religious leaders in that day to see Jesus killed, why not just make an even bigger deal about it, just having him be the one there and focusing all of their venom just on him? Why these two other men? Why are they there? We've already read uh, in the reading in Matthew, and we were told that they were robbers, and then in Luke we read that they're criminals, so we understand what their crime was. They were stealing. They were robbers. And, and in that day, that, that was fit to be put to death for. In certain parts of the world today, it's the same. So Luke simply refers to them as criminals, but both Gospels tell us that Jesus was in the center. He was the center of attention. But my question for us goes further to ask this. Why these two guys? Why them? I mean, it could have been Barabbas, right? But no, he was released. So... I think we're going to see that as we go on, what the answer to that is. But let me highlight a few things from Matthew's text for us, first of all, so that we we, we can see this, I hope. We read that these two robbers are crucified with him, one on each side. And then we read these words. I'll put them on screen. And these these are accusations being thrown at Jesus. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus had prophesied three times, at least we know of from the Gospels, that this would happen. Of course, they're thinking of the physical building that would come down in A.D. 70. But it's mocking the way that... But they say, look at the words, save yourself. That's interesting. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. It goes on in verses 41 and 42 to say, So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. Look, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Three and a half years. Preaching and teaching. Miracles, healings, raising people from the dead, more than one. Lastly, in verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So let's be sure that we see this picture really, really well and clearly. Everyone except a very small number of people, are deriding him, mocking him, walking by just wagging their heads at him. It's almost like they feel like this is pathetic, reviling him. And and listen, all of this while a completely innocent man is hanging on a cross with nails through his hands and his feet, bleeding to death. I mean, can you think of anything more inhumane than that? I mean, I think it's easy for us 2,000 years later to look back on that and go, I mean, very, very backward people 
very evil, uncultured people. Be careful. But that's the picture that we see. There's no mercy, of course, we understand between criminals. We can understand the two robbers on either side of them would be wagging their heads going, you know, what a loser, and treating them in the way that they're doing. But those who apparently feared and loved God, both the religious and the people of Israel, I think it's truly shocking. It, it is. It's shocking that this would be happening but here's the underlying issue that I want us to see today, and it's, it's based on another question. What is it that they believe, or we necessarily believe, we need saving from? It looks like that the texts begin, and our primary text looks like the same thing. It kind of goes into the same thing. And it asks the question, begs the question, what do they think they needed saving from? They apparently think Jesus needs to save himself from it. Well, let's look at the passage that I read for you a little bit more clearly and see the same thing. In verse 35 to 38 of Luke 23, it starts off with this, "...and the people stood by watching." But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others? From what? Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's a pattern, right? They're all saying the same thing. There was an inscription, it goes on to say, over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So what? What are they demanding of Christ, requesting of Christ, thinking they themselves need to be saved from? do you think? One word, clearly. Death. Death. This is the one thing they all have in common when it came to not only what they expected from Jesus if he were the Messiah, but wanted to save them from. Death. That's what they thought was the big deal. That's what they thought he needed to do. No, actually, there's more, I think. Ultimately, all they wanted from Jesus, as we learned last week on Palm Sunday, is they, they really just wanted a, a Messiah, a Savior, would come along and save them from the oppression of the Roman government in that day, right? So what? So that they could live happy and prosperous and flourishing lives. Until the day we die, we'll worry about that later was the general idea. So not too worried about that, of course, unless it is as a result of the Romans killing us. We're not really too concerned with that. The, the one criminal actually makes it clear, doesn't he? He's almost like he's speaking to them or, or on behalf of all the people when he essentially, I believe, says this to Jesus. What good are you to us right now in this moment unless... You save yourself and come down from that cross and don't die. 
right? Seems to be what they were all expecting. Well, there's some truth to the fact that Jesus does save us from death, right? There's some truth to that. But there's really much more going on. And I wonder, do you see it? Do we see it? So then something really amazing and beautiful and wonderful happens right then and there in that moment on the cross. Matthew's gospel account told us that both criminals were being crucified and dying with him, spewing their anger out on him. Both of them were like everybody else. Then something happened. Something changed. One criminal had a change of heart. Now, again, we, we need to understand he's hanging there. He, he's looking at this man who is bleeding to death, and everyone is focused on him, and he's the one that they are all reviling and challenging. He's also hearing him cry out, Eloi, Eloi, Zabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He can see the horror. He can see the pain. Something happened to this man. We read, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you look not fear God, since you are under the same sentence or condemnation? Saved at the cross. While hanging there on that day, watching... And hearing all that was being poured out on Jesus, one man, one criminal, yes, one man who deserved to die for his crimes, one guy, one rebellious sinner has a change of heart right there, right in that moment. A change not made by his own doing. He didn't have time to do any religious acts and earn his salvation, did he? None whatsoever. But now we can see something. For the first time, he fears God. He's become aware of the sentence of condemnation on him, on this other man, and everyone else. And look at this. He actually acknowledges what Paul says in Romans 6, 23, the words that we all know. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He concludes with these words, and we indeed justly, wow, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. Paul must have heard that. He must have. For this man has done nothing wrong. And then he asks and receives forgiveness. 
He declares God's judgment is just, and his justice is marked by the reward that they are due for their evil deeds, their sin, and then look at that. He declares God's son is righteous. He's innocent. Wow. Have you ever seen someone become a Christian in a couple of hours like that? Well, maybe if you were hanging beside the Son of God, it would help. But he's not done. The Holy Spirit now prompts him to literally ask for his forgiveness from the one who is dying on the cross in his place and for his sins when it says this. And he said, Jesus, look at this, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a man who doesn't believe that death is the end of the day, does he? Because he can tell Jesus is dying. This is a man who already must believe that Sunday is coming. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. I don't know. I don't know when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's before today or maybe it will be this morning. But have you heard those words? Have you honestly heard those words? You should. Trusting in his work on the cross and in your place and for your sins means he is saying to you, truly, you will be with me in paradise for eternity. Beautiful words, wonderful words from the cross. This man is saved at the cross. This man is a lowly and rebellious criminal, just like everyone else. And yes, this man was and is saved from the penalty of sin, from the wages of sin, which is death. But more importantly, he was saved. Listen, and the reason why Jesus died on the cross and in your place and in my place and for our sins was to save us from God himself to save us from the wrath of God, which is now being poured out all over Jesus on that cross, in that place, to the point where he senses, he senses that the worst thing possible that could ever happen is that he and the Father would be separated because of the weight of the sin. Eloi, Eloi, Zabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus absorbed all of God's wrath and judgment for us so that we could be forgiven and saved indeed. Amen? Amen. We, all of us, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and trusted him, are saved from the wrath of God. That's what we needed to be saved from before we die. That's what he accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross and in our place. It started right then. People getting saved at the cross, and this man was not the only one. Let me read these words for you in conclusion. It goes on. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light faded, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. Verse 47. Now, 
when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Friends, this is why Jesus died. He died as our substitute in our place to absorb the penalty that you and I deserved so that we could be forgiven of our sins and receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Good Friday. It's a good Friday.